0: long week last week, I really missed it, and I hope you missed as much as I missed it, but we are here now, it's a new week, let's get it. In other words, the public is Chuck D, bring the noise. Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope everybody's had a great two weeks. I only say that because simply I didn't do the show last week. I was simply unable to do the show last week. I had to postpone it. For those that don't know, uh, I had some just uh, family issues in the home where I just couldn't really bring myself to record, I did have a, I did have a, uh, you know, I did have the show planned, I had it ready, I was ready to go, but just some unforeseen circumstances, I guess, kind of just, uh, I couldn't really get focused, and, you know, when, when I record this show, I there's, there's sometimes where I feel like, where I sound like I'm not into it, but I am, you know, that's, and that's just how it is sometimes, sometimes, you know, I just don't f- sound... I just don't sound happy, it's probably because I'm not, you know what I mean, so, and that's not usually the time when I feel like postponing, because that's just, that's not really a matter of, that's not really a matter of can't, that's a matter of I don't feel like it, and that's not really what I'm here for, I'm here for the, if the, if the love of it leaves you, then the rest, then the next thing that comes in between is discipline, and that's why I try to do, I try to keep disciplined, and I say I'm going to do it every week, and I do it every week, regardless of how I'm feeling, so, you know, it's, um, it's only when I don't feel focused, that's when, that's when I start not doing the show, because if I'm not focused on the topics at hand, I may sound down, but if I'm not, if I'm not, but if I'm down, I'm definitely focused on the topic still, I just don't sound as chirpy as I do, because I'm a chirpy guy, apparently, <laughs> for some reason, I'm just giving that, my, my, that moniker to myself, but anyway, um, yeah, if if I ain't focus like I was last week, I couldn't focus, I just had, there was just too much going on, you know, that's when, that's when I start calling off the show, but regardless if I'm how I'm feeling, I'll most likely do the show, and, you know, it's... This, this won't happen often, I assure you, so, you know, it's, uh, it's it's something I'm just looking to move forward on. And, you know, it's a new week's a new week, and a new show's a new show. Episode 32, we have finally got there. <laughs> uh, just, to, just to, you know, just to prove that I actually, you know, I did have a show prepared last week. I was going to talk about... Um, I was going to talk about his uh, F one dying. I was going to talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo, who won uh, NBA MVP. Congratulations to him. And I was going to talk about his Nigerian roots. I was going to talk about Kanye versus EMI, which is a fascinating story. And I was also going to talk about uh, Theresa May' uh, plan for a wind rush, wind rush memorial that basically nobody asked for. And yeah, it's just it's just yeah yeah that 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 will that will go how it goes. <laughs> Hopefully, opening the in the well department but anyway formalities before we truly begin episode 32 um email facebook twitter is all there in the description below if you have anything any questions any thoughts about the show about the topics i talk about this week let me know hit me up and once again thank you all for listening as the plane goes by (laughs) let's begin the show In a week where uh, Wimbledon begins with plenty of amazing results, it's including world number two Naomi Osaka crashing out of round one, and also 15-year-old Cory Golf, Cory Golf, Corey Golf, Cory Golf, Cory Golf, Cori Golf beating her idol Venus Williams, and I actually watched the highlights of that today. Um, currently, it's currently as I record, it's day two of Wimbledon. I think Roger Federer is playing as I speak. So, yeah, if you want to time it, that's where I'm at. Uh, I was watching the highlights from day one, and it, they they kept they kept saying how Corey uh, Corey Goff is um, basically like spitting image of Venus Williams, and I think she's I think Venus said in an interview that she that she looks like her younger like playing in a mirror, playing her younger self kind of thing, which which must be excuse me, which must be fascinating to think about but anyway, there's that Wimbledonstein, uh, Hong Kong protests get violent as some protesters storm, vandalise and tag the walls of the parliament building so uh, yeah, I t- obviously talked about that last week I th- well, last episode anyway and obviously it's uh, beginning to escalate so we shall keep a pulse on that and also, Max Verstappen charges through the field to win the Austrian GP, a far cry from the French GP uh, previously, which, as I said, led to people to ask, is F1 dying? And I was going to ask that question. I was going to say no, but yes. It's, it's kind of an on the kind of conversation, but the Austrian GP was probably one of the best races, definitely the best race of the year so far, and one of the best races in recent memory for sure, so... Uh, uh, F one is not dead yet. Not dead yet. So we get into the show itself. Where to begin? Where to begin? Where to begin? I'll begin with sports actually because I want to talk about NBA free agency. So, um, this particular this particular article I'm going to talk from is from uh, Five Thirty Eight. It's, uh, it's an American, best American site publication, whatever you want to call it, and they basically do statistics based. Uh, statistic based pieces and yeah it's just very heavy on the technical side but also not a little storytelling addition to it so you know it's a a good place to go if if you're looking for anything for sports and they also do politics as well which is uh, always fascinating to look at but yes this is a free agent diary and this is the winners and losers from a chaotic first day by chris herring now obviously it's uh it's we're in day three now yeah, but well, yeah, yeah, day one, day two, day three, whatever. Day two, day three, if you want it, however you want to slice it. We're in, we're still in the early stages of free agency, but obviously a lot happened in the first day. Really hectic, and uh, yeah, let's get into the let the article anyway. After a whirlwind starts the a free agency, in which almost every big available name settled on a home. There was plenty to sift through, almost too much, so we did the dirty work for you, here are some of our initial takeaways from day one of free agency. Warriors may not be a contender, but they'll still be entertaining. For the third time in four off-seasons, Golden State added an all-star to his roster, arranging a sign-and-trade with the Nets to acquire D'Angelo Russell in the wake of Kevin Durant's decision to sign with Brooklyn. The move is a compelling one, while it gives the Warriors another scorer to make up for the abs- absence of Durant and Clay Thompson this coming season, it also figures to weaken Golden State considerably on uh, on defense. or or defense, as the Americans say, uh, especially because the deal forces the Dubs to part ways with Andre Iguodala. No, Iggy isn't a spring chicken anymore, but he is still an above-average defender who, along with Raymond Green, has been has long been. One of the most important pieces of that unit. It wouldn't be all that surprising if the Warriors fall outside the top half of the league on uh, on defense. At this point, a jarring thought is given uh, given how great they were on that end for several years. Uh, there's another paragraph there, but I just want to say something on that. The reason, the main reason you can point to why as to why the Warriors lost the finals against the Toronto Raptors is obviously. Dren and Clay Thompson lose, uh, you know, uh, succumbing to injuries. Obviously, that's a that was a big, big, big part of it. But the fact that they were, I think, outside the top ten on defense. I'm gonna say defense because I just I just find it weird when I say defense and I'm talking about basketball. I Might as well just say defense. I'm, I keep holding myself. It's defense. It's defense. So I'm just gonna say defense. Um, and it sounds more fun. Defense defence is boring, defence sounds uh, uh, political, (laughs) defence sounds fun, Um, yeah, so the reason I I found the, you know, the main reason you'll point to, apart from the injuries, is the defence of of the Warriors, and they, the the times they won the championship, they were top 10, top 5, top 3, you know, so, uh, so, obviously that was a key part of it. They always have the, they always have offense. They always have offense. They always have firepower there. They always have jump shoes. They always have shooting. They always have just amazing playmaking. But defense is always, defense is always either, is always a, is a hit or miss subject. Sometimes they have it. Sometimes they don't. Depends who they have. So, Deandre Russell is not a defender. <laughs> He's just straight up not a defender. Really isn't. He can get a couple of steals here and there, but apart from that, it's not. It's not. It's nothing to. It's nothing to scream home about. You know, uh, to scream at home about. So, uh, if it, if we if we're doing super super early predictions, of who, who's who's going to win championship, I at this point in time probably won't say the Warriors. Uh, just just be, just on that reason alone, but we shall see what happens. Obviously, it's second uh, July as I record this, and you ne- you never know what will happen especially in free agency anyway uh, aside from the Nets the Pacers had maybe the most interesting day if you uh, I'll just say what happens to the Nets by the way so they got Kyrie Irving DeAndre Jordan and Kevin Durant aforementioned I find that mad fascinating simply because I well I've said I've said this about Kyrie Irving for for a while and well I've said I don't rate him but I'll just say this uh, just to just a. Just to bring it home, I think he's toxic. I, I think he's toxic from a just a attitude standpoint, from a from a teamwork standpoint, from a playmaking standpoint. I don't think he to have Kyrie Irving as the as your number one option as a team is a no no. Is a straight up no no. Let's not forget. Right, let's not forget before LeBron came back to Cleveland, right? When he was in Miami and came back to Cleveland before before he came back to Cleveland uh, in 2014 or whatever. Before he came back there. Kyrie Irving was number 1 on, on Cleveland for a number of years, for a number of years, and Cleveland went nowhere, okay? This is this is documented. This is documented. He has been a number one option on many teams. Okay, he's been number one, number one option on Cleveland for many years before, obviously before LeBron came back and he was number, he was the, you know, from a scoring standpoint, the number one option on the Boston Celtics last year. And obviously the previous year before that, before he was injured. And look where Boston went. They didn't go far, you know, so I don't, I really don't see Kyrie Irving being a number one option and you guys winning a championship, you're not going to win a championship with Kyrie being number one option. Number two option, for sure, he's a great number two option. He's an amazing number two option, but number one option, no. There's a, there's a big gap I find between a number one option, especially in the NBA. There's a big gap between a number one player and a number two player on a team. A big difference. And Kyrie may be, you know, a top 10 point guard, but. I've said I've said many times he's not a top five point guard for me. I can always f- figure out I can always find five point guards better than him, and I just don't see him as a just from a mentality standpoint a leader, to be honest. So that's just how I see it. But anyway, it's just going to be fascinating watching watching the Nets uh, this year having to be led by Kyrie Irving. <laughs> And then everyone starts to hate him because that will never be happen. And then, uh, and then Katie comes back and just goes, "All right, back to number two, And then he starts sulking some more. It's just gonna be fun. It's just gonna be fun. But pick up in the nets anyway. You know, on paper, that's, that's the best move, obviously. And, he, and they have one free agency with that, with those, with those three moves. So anyway, uh, that's just how it is on paper. Yes, but mm, on, on in in the future terms, probably not. Anyway. Uh, the Pacers, yes, Pacers. If you were told the Pace, uh, P- told Pacers fan that they were going to lose not only Boyan Bogdanovich, their leading scorer at 21 points per game, after Victor Vic Ladepo got hurt, but also Swiss Army like Thaddeus Young, you probably wouldn't have gotten a great reaction from them. But that was the reality Sunday. And there's a decent chance the Indiana comes out of it okay anyway. As Bogdanovich joined the Jazz and uh, another shower pick up the Jazz, amazing off season. Amazing uh, Young made a deal with the Bulls. The Pacers agreed to packs of their own with Milwaukee's Malcolm Brogdon and Charlotte's Jeremy Lamb. Brogdon has had several suitors, and Indiana had to part ways with a couple of picks in order to complete a sign and trade for him, but he cannot be a solid fit both because of his tough uh, defence and his ability to play on and away from the ball once Oladipo is back in the mix. For that reason, this seemed to be a much better signing than Ricky Rubio would have been. The offence challenged Pacers desperately needed someone who was at least something of a shooting threat to take pressure off Oladipo. Uh, And and the Lamb signing for three years and 31 million was arguably even better from a value standpoint. And here's that 538 statistics stuff that I was talking about. In fact, based on 538's Carmelo per, per player projection model, Lamb is projected to provide $22.3 million worth of production per season in his deal. Only four players who reached agreement Sunday, all of whom were max level stars, are projected to outproduce their deals by more than the $12 million per season of excess production expected from the 27-year-old Lamb. Uh, right, Sacramento, let's get to Sacramento. Sacramento won't get high marks. The King made a couple of head-scratching decisions. They kept Harrison Barnes for four years and five million. I didn't even clock that. Jeez, Harrison Barnes, this is the most... Oh, such an underwhelming player to watch. Jesus Christ. When he went to Dallas, I was just like, okay, you've been exposed. You are... You are... He's... He's okay at some things, but just bad at everything else, and he's just... Uh, he's just... He's just average... He's just really, really average. He's like the—he's literally that run-of-the-mill player that you shouldn't give a, like a high deal to, but for some reason they do. Anyway, uh, they kept Aaron Bars for four years and eighty-five mil, and they then also picked up Trevor Reza for two years and twenty-five mil. Both were on the short list of players uh, our Carmelo projection model deemed to be overpays by more than 10 million per season. The Kings were, only, were the only club to sign two such players on Sunday. Many of the other players on that dreaded list, Clay Thompson, Tobias Harris, Chris Middleton, were contending teams and were in position to command max or near max deals because their clubs risked losing them for nothing otherwise. That wasn't true of Barnes or Reza though. Uh, Sacramento's other deals for Dwayne Dedman and Corey Joseph were more or less in line with their value. The Sixers overhaul themselves yet again. Uh, actually, let me just get into this and I'll talk about Sixers afterwards and then I'll finish off. Uh, in somewhat stunning that this is, it's somewhat stunning that the Sixers either couldn't or wouldn't bring back Jimmy Butler after po- after the postseason he had Philly. but now that he's moving on, Al Horford is a fascinating signing. Some will gasp at the four-year, 109 million price tag. Our model pegs him right at the 109 million over that length of time, uh, but between him and Josh Richardson, who figures to be on the Figures to be on the way to Philadelphia in a Butler sign-in trade. The Sixers are going to have a scary amount of length on D, losing J.J. Reddick's shooting ball sting, but Richardson and Horford are both good from outside. The Sixers will miss Butler's ability to facilitate as a secondary ball handler, but Butler's uh, exit may streamline things on offense for Harris, who was all but forgotten at times in the playoffs, something that simply can't happen given his salary and what the team gave up to get him. I actually said on Twitter recently that um I kind of give I have to give Philadelphia credit for the fact that they have kept themselves uh you know, from a playoff standpoint alive for another two years. I really thought that the past playoffs was their one and only chance and obviously they blew it. And while while I said while I said that, I wanna retract a little bit simply because the fact that they lost JJ Reddick and Jimmy Butler Gaining Horford is great. It's a that it was a great signing. Gaining Josh Richardson, and as a Miami Heat fan, I love Josh, Josh Richardson. So you know he's a he's an amazing player. He's a he's an, he's a decent shooter. He's, a, he's you know reasonably efficient, and he can only get better from that point uh, standpoint. And he's and his defending is near elite. And he's 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 getting to elite status on on uh, on defense right there. So uh, there's as only a matter of time before he's on Jimmy Butler level uh, D. So. If that's the case, then you can you can say that Josh Richardson and Jimmy Butler are kind of obviously are kind of comparable, but you know Jimmy's done more. Let's be real. So Jim, Jimmy's done more, therefore he's more valuable. Um, I just, the fact that they but the fact that they lost Jimmy and JJ Reddick is a bigger thing than should be the than has been you know reported and has been talked about and has been opined. I think that, it's dramatically, that makes them dramatically worse, because think about it, right? So we're in the playoffs 2019, uh, 2020, right? We're in the 2020 playoffs next year, right? So they have that starting five. They have Josh Richardson, they have Ben Simmons, they have Tobias Harris, they have Joel Embiid, and they have Al Horford. Okay, cool. <laughs> Question. Who's taken the last shot? That's literally it. Who's taking the last shot? Who's going to dominate? Who's going to who's go, in the last five minutes of of every game? Who's going to say, "All right, guys, I got this." All right, guys, chill, chill. Give me the ball. I got it. I got you. I'll get you buckets. I'll get you the dub. I'll get you the win. Jimmy Butler was that person, right? I just find it for, and I just find it really interesting that they prioritized Tobias Harris. And not Jimmy Butler. If if anything, the other it should have been the other way. Um, I don't know the cap situation, but if they could afford Jimmy Butler, then go for Jimmy Butler. <laughs> you know what I mean? You clearly could afford to buy Harris, so you know why didn't you go one? If you if you're picking one, you're picking Jimmy. You know what I mean? So I don't understand. I didn't really understand that. And while the starting five looks good, it looks great on paper, and they'll probably get around 50 wins. Probably most likely, next year. I don't see them going to the finals next year with this with this starting five. I just don't see it. Unless they have a mad amount of shooting on their bench, I really can't see it. JJ Redick was really really valuable to them, uh, more valuable than his than his uh paycheck showed. I think so. I don't I don't know how that's gonna work. To be completely honest, while I love the starting five and on NBA 2K that's gonna look beast. I just don't see it so yeah and we could also talk about the Lakers but yeah, yeah, everyone talks about the Lakers that's boring so you know that's, uh, free agency is well and truly away uh, summer league actually is well and truly underway already so, uh, There's a couple of games last night uh, summer league wise so yeah man NBA just keeps on trucking keeps on trucking So we move on to film and TV. I don't know if the last time I've actually talked about film and TV. <laughs> when was the last time I did, uh, did done film and TV. Anyway, um, so the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, the people that do the Oscars, basically, they are, they invite new members, new members every every year but at this time of year. And I am always fascinated about who they invite and who also who they don't invite because that's also that's always that's always juicy to think about. Uh little juicy film and TV gossip. So I just wanted to get into this article. This is by Scott Feinberg, the Hollywood Reporter. Um Academy's newly invited members include recent Oscar winners, overlooked vex vets and question marks. Um so yes, let's get let's get into it anyway. I don't know if you really have any thoughts ahead of ahead of time so let's get into it the hollywood reporter's awards columnist notes that the organization is increasingly inviting people to become members who while wonderfully talented have most distinguished themselves have most distinguished themselves in media outside of film the academy of motion picture arts and sciences is a private organization and can do as it pleases as long as it adheres to its own bylaws but that has never stopped much of the industry, and indeed the world, from closely observing and opining about everything it does. Such is life for what is essentially Hollywood student council. Wow, that's a fascinating way of thinking about it. Literally, is like their student council. One thing has an opinion. One thing everyone has an opinion on. Uh, opinion about is the Academy's membership, and specifically who should and shouldn't be invited to join it. Monday morning brought this year's list of invitations, which includes 842 names. So let the chatter begin. Most would agree that it makes sense to invite people who did excellent enough to uh, excellent enough work to garner Oscar nominations or wins during the most recent award season. This year, such courtesy, courtesy was extended to, among others, Roma supporting actress nominee Marina de Tavira, although a bit oddly, not Roma lead actress nominee Yelitsa Aparsio. sorry. A sorry, there you go, uh, who was eligible for an invite despite being her first film role because of her nom, uh, the favorite cinematographer nominee Robbie Ryan, free solo documentary feature winner Jimmy Chin, his wife and co-winner uh, Chai Vassalheli. Vesa-he- that's a re- that's a really interesting Spanish. Vassalheli, Vassalheli, Vassalheli. Why do I do this to myself? I was already a member. Uh, and skin live-action short winner Guy Native, although not his wife, and co-winner Jamie Ray Newman. See, that's just weird. Why are you inviting one person and not the other? It's just really odd. Anyway, uh, multiple branches invited A Star Is Born, uh, Lady Gaga, acting and music, and the team of Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, directors in short films and feature a- animation, and they will have to pick one or the other. So just as, just a preface... The, how how it works basically there are several branches as it pertains to voting, uh, so there's a you know also for the, all the specific awards like you know animation for example, the animation department invite people of animation, uh, of animation to vote for that particular award, and then obviously they all vote for the general awards so. Just to just to preface how that works when they you know when you when multiple when they say multiple branches invited Lady Gaga, that means multiple branches like acting and then music vo- uh, asked asked her to join and obviously she can only join one so yes hopefully she enjo- uh, joins music because she's a musician she's not an actress so what's what, you know if it, pick the one you're I, I would if I, if it was me pick the one that you're you know that you have a career in, (laughs) a proper career in, you know what I mean, so anyway, this is is the fun bit, this is is fun, and if you're, and if you're, you know, a a dedicated member of the show, you will know how much this warms my heart, and how much I will laugh as I, as I enter the taxi, as that meme shows, uh, as that black dude goes in the car, (laughs) ha 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 ha, notably not invited by any branch, I love how he put uh, italics on not and any, Just a little bit of emphasis, big up Scott Feinberg on that. Nick Vallelonga, who won Best Picture and Best Original Screenplay Oscars for Green Book. Uh, My initial assumption was that he was left out because neither the producers' branch nor the writers' branch wanted to be associated with him as a result of the exposure of an anti-Muslim tweet that he posted in 2015. But, upon further consideration, I'm not so sure, since those branches also declined to invite Brian Curry, who shared... Yeah, sorry. Who shared in both of the uh, both of those Oscar wins? Green Book is, however, represented on the invitation list by another producer, Charles B. Wessler, as well as cinematographer Sean Paul and composer composer Chris Bowers. Yeah. So what? So should we all say it together? Fuck Nick Van Longer in one in one uh, in one in unison. One, two, three fuck nearly longer um anyway let's continue many would be surprised to learn that a bunch of people who were invited on monday were not already members such as screen legends claire bloom uh, and jean-louis what the fuck's these names man okay jean-louis trintignant trintignant i'm saying that really wrong i know i know i'm saying it wrong but that's how it's spelled it's just god damn it anyway as well as fellow actors jamie bell tom hollander Andrea Riseborough Riseborough okay and Olivia Williams and Melanie Laurent who was interestingly invited to join the directors branch but not the actors branch see why why do people do this why this is why this is this is probably why oscars and also grammys because they do the similar they have a similar system of, of branches this is probably why so f- f- why all the awards get so fucked up sometimes you're inviting people that have nothing to do with it and i know that Maybe they've directed something, but just because they've directed something doesn't mean you should invite them. Now, if if they're an actor, invite them to actors. If I'm a writer, invite me to writer. And if I happen to act, act in something or direct in something, you know, or sing in something, <laughs> like that will happen, you're not. Don't invite me to them. Do like seriously. This is why the voting is so stupid sometimes. Because this is why they vote for dumb shit sometimes. Because well, not prob not the main reason, but it's, you know it's probably part of it. You're inviting people that, you know, they may have experience on the subject, but they're not the. They're, it's not their first priority. You know what I mean? So, on a creative standpoint, so ugh, I don't know why they do this anyway. To move on down in the piece, he gets into saying, and now for the re- the requisite griping. So let's get into this, uh, this bit, the negatives, I guess. Uh, it feels to me like the Academy has forgotten that its full title is the Mo- Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Indeed, it is increasingly inviting people to become members who, while wonderfully talented, have most distinguished themselves on another in another medium. Of just the familiar names on this year's invitation list, many have done their... Uh, done their most substantial and stand-up work on TV, such as This Is Us' is C- Sterling K. Brown, The Crow's Claire Foyer, Billions' Lu- Damien Lewis, Mad Men, Handmaid's Tale, Elizabeth Moth, Archie Punjabi, and Susan Lacey. On stage, so, uh, well, I'm not even going to bother going on stage because I don't talk about stage. Uh, meanwhile, quite a few others who do primarily work in film have been invited to join the Academy after doing acclaimed work in and or... Uh, being part of just one or two notable productions, including this year, Gemma Chan of Crazy Rich Asians* and Mary Queen of Scots, Tom Holland, you know Tom Holland, Jack O'Connell, Will Poulter, and Letitia Wright. Big up Letitia Wright. They may, uh, may well, well be great talents, but it is my understanding that one is expended to have accumulated a body of work before it being invited to join the Academy, and I'm not sure, I'm not so sure they have yet done so. I mean, I'll finish it there, but... I, that, is, that, is a, that is an interesting Last point That I'll, that I'll just uh, harp on for a bit <sighs> You know Will, Will Polter's been around for a bit You know he's, he, isn't a, he isn't an Oscar nominee in any fashion But you know He's, he's been in a couple of notable films here and there Letitia Wright's had a, obviously had an amazing year Last year And I, I can I can only see that growing So <sighs> I, I guess, I guess you, I can understand that you think it's preemptive, you know, but then again, if you're inviting them now and then they flourish in, you know, their, their own careers, you're not going to, you're not going to be talking about this in 15 years going, even if like someone like Will Poulter fell off the face of the earth after this year going, after the invite going, oh, why did you invite Will Poulter, you know, it's just, you're not going to be talking about that. You really won't care. They inv- how many how many people do they invite this year? You know what I mean. So if that's the case, if that's the case, if we're inviting that many people, right? Let me get the number up right quick again, just to, just to be just to be uh, eight hundred forty two. Okay, you're inviting eight hundred forty two people, right? Per year. Let's just say let's just say they invite five hundred people per year. Okay, how many of those are irrelevant? how many how many people that are already there and have been there for maybe 50 years okay what about the old dudes what about the old dudes that have been there for years that got invited after one project like a Will Poulter and are still yet voting for shit like green book are we bitching at them no we don't we don't so you know obviously the, the academy does what it wants and they invite who they want, which is fine, they're a private organisation, like Scott Feinberg said, but if you're going to bitch about the people that haven't had a career, let's start bitching about the people that didn't have a career to begin with back in the day, and for some reason they're still there, and for some reason they still deserve a voice. Some people, here's, here's the thing, this is the only. this is the one thing that pisses me off, one thing that pisses me off by any awards, okay? I hate it when they say when people that can vote say outright on wax that they haven't seen or watched well they haven't seen or listened to or consumed everything that that is up for voting and that they can vote for. I remember I watched a I listened to a podcast and the dude who hosts it is a member of the Screen Actors Guild. I think I've talked about this before. And it was around the time when it was, uh, you know, stuff like Mudbound was out. So, what was this, uh, two years ago maybe, I think. So, yeah, yeah, around, around well, around, uh, yeah, over a year ago anyway. Yeah, definitely over a year ago. And he was talking about how he doesn't, he tried to watch some of the films and he, he just didn't like it. Uh, it's just too heavy. No, 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 no. Don't vote then. I don't think you can vote. I don't think you should vote. Unless you've consumed all the things that you are uh, that you are voting on, what's the point? What's the point if you're watching one thing and then you vote for that? What's the point? That's not that's not really fair, is it? As being a judge, if, just have the ethics. If you're going to be a judge for something, consume it all. That's just rubbish. If I'm a, I've I've, I've talked about this before. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting deja vu from sometime last, sometime in the winter. So I'm gonna stop on that point and you know just big up the people who's been invited to be honest and it's just um, you get to vote you get to vote on, on the biggest uh, prize in, in film so lord knows I would milk the shit out of that out of that title <laughs> okay so we move on to music and there's only there's only one thing there's only one thing I can talk about, and that is Stormzy's performance of Glastonbury. Stormzy's performance of Glastonbury. This is by A.B. Walker of the Guardian, and I'm just going to get into it simply because it just kind of uh, just kind of sums it up very well. Iconic. It will only it will go down in our cult- country's cultural history and inspiration. Musicians, politicians and fans have hailed the rapper Stormzy after he became the first black solo British headliner at Glastonbury Festival, opening to a spectacular pyrotechnic display on the pyramid stage. The Grammy award winning singer Adele said on Instagram, I'm so proud of him. Stormzy just monumentally headlined Glastonbury in his own right with one album, the first grime artist to ever do so. You respected everyone that opened the door for you whilst opening a huge one yourself. Stormzy, whose real name is Michael Omari, uh, has experienced a phenomenal rise to fame since the release of his song Shut Up in 2015 and the album Gang Signs and Prayer in 2017. Among the highlights of the show were a performance by the BAME dance group Ballet Black and guest appearances by the rappers Dave and Fredo and Coldplay's Chris Martin. Stormzy also played a speech by the Labour MP David Lammy on the disproportionate number of black, Asian and minority ethnic people in the criminal justice system. Lammy praised Stormzy for using his headline spot quote, to speak about the injustice of young black kids being criminalised in, uh, in a biased and disproportionate justice system humbled and inspired that he sampled my speech. The Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn described the performance as "a political and iconic." "Quote: It won't just go down in Glassbury history; it will go down and go down in our country's cultural history." Stormzy has previously been credited with pushing grime into the mainstream. Wiley, a British rapper who is often cited as the godfather of grime, praised Stormzy's stardom, and he said he'd "quote never seen anyone reach these heights as quick as Stormzy has done." Ed Sheeran, whose twenty-seven hit, seventeen hit "Shape of You" was performed by Stormzy on Friday. Said the rapper was an in inspiration. He posted first black British solo artist to headline Glastonbury, second youngest to ever headline, and just an inspiration to so many. This is just a star. Congrats, Big Mike. Looking forward to see you do more achievements like this. Game of Thrones actor Jacob Anderson, who made a surprise appearance under his musician's name of Rayleigh Ritchie, said Stormzy was an icon. You, you want life tonight, brother? Proud isn't the word. It was an honour to be part of such a special moment, he added. At one point, Stormzy held his mic out for the crowd to rap the line, fuck the government, fuck Boris, from his number one single, Vossi Bop, before asking his DJ to replay the line. Praise was also showered by Tara Asher, who is one of the four British language interpreters in the UK who specialises in grime for her work signing the performance. So... There's also a uh, there's also an actual five star review. I think it's done by Alex Patridis. Yeah, Alex Patridis of the Guardian. If you want to uh, uh, read that, go ahead. That's a fascinating uh, review, and it kind of just puts a you know just a bow on it all. And there's also an article I wanted to read from uh, uh, Jonathan Jones of the Guardian as well. It's called "Designed by Banksy, Warned by Stormzy: The Banner of a Divided Nation, Divided and Frightened Nation." For those that don't know, Banksy actually designed the stab-proof vest that Stormzy wore during the performance, which makes me wonder, and I think think there is a wonder of uh, uh, this on the article itself, where they basically ask, oh there we go, Let's let's get into this bit, so it's midway in the article. If so, how did Banksy get Stormzy to wear one of his works unknowingly? Did he leave the vest in glass and redressing room with a note from an anonymous well-wisher? Surely the rapper was in on the stunt for the vest was perfectly coordinated with the rest of his show. Its stark design showed up powerfully against a spectacular swirl of multicolored lights and flashed up messages. It seems too much to believe that Banksy happened to infiltrate a work of art that balanced the optics of the performance so precisely. It's more likely that the two are collaborators. After all, they are both masters of modern culture. Stormzy's set began with a video discussion of the power of culture and embraced ballet in an interlude celebrating the fact that dancers' shoes are finally being made to suit black skin tones. Stormzy and Banksy both know that culture culture is positional and situational. It's context that makes the comment. It's context that makes the comment. Uh, Stormzy's show was a triumph because he was he so he so enthusiastically embraced his opportunity, enjoying quote the greatest night of my life. In, instead of alluding to what looked like on TV the overwhelming whiteness of the Glastonbury audience. Oh uh, boy, well, well we can get into that uh, because this is about communication, and Banksy's design helps Stormzy speak for England. So I'm just gonna there's obviously the rest of the article if you want to read it. Uh, if you, you want to go ahead, that'll be in the fifthanimaldog.uk. And yeah, I just, um, I just find this all so, I just really find this as a washhead moment, if I can talk about the, like, you know, how the, if I can broaden the lens right quick. I actually have written, I actually wrote an article, uh, dropped it actually today as I record, so if you want to hit up The Fifth Element right, right quick and read it, it's called um, Are We Entering the Golden Age for UK Black Music. And I think Stormy Stormzy's leading that charge. He this performance is him leading that charge. And I don't. When I say black music, I don't mean just. I don't mean just you know rap, grime, you know hip hop. I'm not talking about that. I'm also talking about jazz. I'm talking about R and B and soul. I'm talking about you know just other and another black artists in general just doing their things. It doesn't have to be in those specific genres. You could, could be a pop artist as well and they're they're doing their things as well. So there are many black artists who are doing their things and they are getting their shine. They're all bigging each other up. They're all supporting each other. They're crossing boundaries. They're crossing they're crossing genres f- to help each other, you know, get up, get their name get their names up. And it's 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 amazing to see and you know, if, if for the rest of my thoughts, just read the article. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. I just, I just believe that was a. We can't overstate this moment enough. You know, <laughs> we really can't. I think I don't think it's impossible to overstate the, how big this moment is. You know, when we talk about Jay Z hosting Glastonbury, well, I think it, I think it was Jay Z hosting Glastonbury a few a few years ago. You know, there's a lot of cultural. There's a cultural message, message said there. But the fact that Stormzy did this and to such amazing and just killing it and just being so op during that performance and getting everybody talking about it, to again as it said in the, art, the Banksy article, a predominantly white crowd, which is just how Glastonbury is in, in its nature. That's 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 something to behold. That is genuinely something to behold. And once again, I just I can't I. You can't overstate this performance enough, a performance enough in terms of how much of a cultural shift and a cultural message it sends to the rest of not just UK music, but UK society and culture as a whole.. So we end the podcast on life life segment, and I talked about this in a week where I think previously in a previous episode, and the an article came up to me yesterday that basically just added on to it and kind of statistically gave statistical um, uh, what's the word uh, context to what happened. So. I think the I think why I gave the message I gave last time was about the Antarctic or just um, sheet ice in the Arctic or the Antarctic I forget which is basically melting faster than it should should do obviously uh, about seventy years ahead of time I think it was the statistic and this came up to me uh, yesterday uh, via well this morning actually <laughs> while I was not sleeping uh precipitous fall in antarctic antarctic uh, sea ice since 2014 revealed this is by damien carrington environmental editor of the uh of the guardian and i just feel like it's worth talking about it's always worth talking about um you know i gave a little mention to it last time and i just thought it's it deserves much more this time if i if it's coming to me constantly there comes a point where i just have you just have to dedicate a segment to it and it's something it's Always again it is ever present ever present there's no late isn't is it well we are late we are we are eternally late, but again it's never too it's never too late to start you know giving a shit basically so and just a th- and just one more thing before I begin the article reading the article, um i wanna just ask you guys to I've been thinking recently to change vocabulary on this on all this because people say climate change especially that particular phrase climate change and it's such a buzzword. You know, it's 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 either it's it's when you hear that when you hear that phrase you either really you're your ears either prick up or completely shove. And I feel like we need to add urgency towards our phrasing. If we add an urgency towards the research and the messaging and the context, I think we just need to add urgency to the actual words themselves, to the phrases themselves, the key words themselves. So instead of calling it climate change, I want to call it I want to call it climate heating, global heating, you know, stuff like that. Instead of global warming, climate change, I want to call it global heating, uh, climate altering. Stuff like that, you know, just just put more umph on it because there's not as we can we can put all the messaging and the and the urgency in the article itself. But if it ain't on the title of this shit is urgent, then people aren't gonna people aren't gonna listen. And you know that this happens. You know sometimes you do it as well, and sometimes I'm culprit to it as well. We can't care constantly. You know, we can't... It's just not in our nature. Sometimes we just have to get on with our lives and just not think about it, you know, and just, you know, do our things. And I get it. But there's also, you know, these moments where we have to actually give a shit. And... I do have a solution. I don't know if you can hear that ice cream truck going past. Well, that they're just... That they're just... They're just, That's ironic as shit, but, um... <laughs> that is ironic. That is irony of the, of the highest order. But anyway... um Where was I? So, uh, yeah, I have a kind of just a final thing at the end, but obviously we'll get to that when the end comes to it. But anyway, let's get into the article itself. The vast expanse of sea ice around Antarctica has suffered a, quote, precipitous fall since 2014. Satellite data shows and fell at a faster rate than seen since in the Arctic. The plunge in the average annual extent means Antarctica lost as much sea ice in four years as the Arctic lost in 34 years. The cause of the sharp Antarctic losses is as yet unknown, and only time will tell whether the ice recovers or continues to decline. I know which one I'm going to pick, uh, but researchers said it showed uh, it showed ice could disappear much more rapidly than previously thought. Unlike the melting of ice sheets on land, sea ice melting does not raise sea level, but losing bright white sea ice means the sun's heat is instead absorbed by dark ocean waters, leading to a vicious circle of heating. Sea ice spreads over enormous areas and in major in- and has major impacts on the global climate system, with losses in the Arctic strongly linked to extreme weather at low altitudes, such as the heat waves in Europe. And if you, that was actually going to be uh, in a week where last episode, well, last week but obviously um it's kind of past. to uh, i think uh, france had the all time had its all time temperature uh recorded i think it was like 44 degrees first time ever in france so yeah Failing of course to be um you know ipop anyway let's continue the loss of sea ice in the arctic clearly tracks the rise in global air temperatures resulting from human claws global heating see global heating Uh, But the two poles are very different. The Arctic is an ocean surrounded by continents and is exposed to warming air, while Antarctica is a freezing continent surrounded by oceans and is protected from warming air by a circle of strong winds. Antarctic sea ice had been slowly increasing during the 40 years of measurements and reached a maximum of t- in 2014, but since then, sea ice extent has nosedived, reaching a record low in 2017. Quote, there has been a huge decrease, said Claire Parkinson at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in the US. Excuse me, in the US. In her study, published in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, she called the decline precipitous and a dramatic reversal quote we don't know if that increase if that decrease is going to continue she-, she said but it raises the question of why it has it happened and are we going to see some huge acceleration in the rate of de- in the in rate of decrease in the arctic only the continued record will let us show well let's know the arctic has become poster child for global warming parkinson said but the recent sea ice falls in antarctica have been far worse She has tracked Antarctic sea ice for more than 40 years. Quote, all of us scientists were thinking eventually global global warming, should be global heating, uh, is going to catch up in the Antarctic, she said. Caitlin Norton, a sea ice expert at the British Antarctic Survey, said, quote, westerly winds which surround the continent mean that the Antarctic sea ice doesn't respond directly to global warming average over the whole planet. Climate change is affecting the winds, but so is the ozone hole and the short-term cycles like El Nino. Sea ice is also affected by meltwater running, uh, running off the Antarctic ice sheet. She said, until 2014, the total effect of these factors was for Antarctic sea ice to expand. But in 2014, something flipped and the sea ice has since declined dramatically. Now, scientists are trying to figure out exactly what happened. And there's another quote by uh by uh, by another thought a uh, uh, professor Andrew Shepard at Leeds University so he uh he goes in to talk about it as well. This is this is this is the thing, right? This is this is my thing. This is the whole. This is my whole thought process towards this, right? This has come to a point where you know we we talk about you know pl- you know plastics and you know. Oh, ditch the straws, shit like that. Straws aren't the while while it's good that we are trying to ditch plastic straws. I'm not saying this is not bad. It's not great, you know. It's, it's but it's not the be all and end all. Okay, we talk about plastic straws. We put so much time into talking about freaking plastic straws that we are avoiding the actual main thing of what other plastics are being shipped off. Plastic straws trust me, do not account for all plastics, okay, there are many, 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 many more that we could be bitching about, and we should be trying to alleviate, but as it pertains to plastics, as it pertains to anything in the environment, as it pertains to animal, wildlife, any type of conservation, okay, the normal average person, let's be real, can't do shit about it okay the average the average joe cannot do nothing about it okay that's just that's just how it is what can be done and what should be done is needs there needs to be major governmental urgency where governments across the world have to Actually, put genuine laws into things, into whether it's environment, whether it's animal conservation, whatever you want to talk about, whatever you know, whatever hot button topic you want to talk about, uh, whatever it is, the government needs to make it widespread. They need to say that we need to do this by law. You know, we can have we can't rely on businesses to fix up, okay? We can't rely on uh, whenever I whenever my mum comes home from shopping, right? Comes home with shopping, sorry, right? Whenever she comes home, you know, we're unpacking stuff, you know, we're putting stuff in the cupboards, yada yada, we're packing stuff away. Okay? Sometimes we just take apart some stuff and I'm just like looking at plastic and I'm just like Well oh, that's going bin. I'm like, why? Why haven't they fixed this up yet? We can't rely on businesses to be proactive, okay? If it affects their bottom line, they're not going to do it. So that's when the government comes in, and you know we can say power to the people and all this, but let's be real. You don't care. You don't care, and some. So and like I said before. Our lives keep moving, regardless. <laughs> regardless, when I throw my six-pack of Iron Brew packaging in the bin, my life continues, and that's just how it is. But there will come there should come a point where if I put that Iron Brew packaging in the bin, and there is no way for us to find a way to recycle plastic properly, which again is another thing the government should should put funding in. And have scientists look into that, of how to either reverse the process of making plastics, or just finding a way to recycle plastics. Whether to use them for other things, repurposing plastics. There are many solutions, but we can't do it, the average the average Joe can't implement it, unless they're really, really passionate about it. So there's a there's another thing going on in Brazil where you know they're talking about the Amazon. And I saw this on BBC News yesterday. I, th- I saw an article recently, uh, yesterday, uh, today, later today, earlier today. Sorry, they're they're basically destroying the Amazon. Not just because they're heartless bastards, but because it affects their beef. They're doing it for beef. They are a ma- Brazil are a major import exporter. Sorry, of beef. So they're cutting down the Amazon. So they can make spaces for farmers, so they can grow cattle, so they can have cattle, and they can, and then and then cattle can graze, and then they can sell their their Brazilian meat. That is a major export for them. You know the Amazon is not a tourist destination. They don't give a fuck. So they can, that's why they That's why they're killing off the Amazon as we speak. Regardless of who cares. They're doing it for the beef. They're doing it for again. Let's, let's, let's say it one more time, the business, the bottom line, the money, the economy, quote unquote, we can't rely on businesses to fix up, we, ca- we can't rely on that, there needs to be major governmental change, and sure, we can, uh, we, can, we can bitch and moan to the government about it, but until them numbers are big enough... I don't, I don't really see what else can really happen. And I hate to end the show on a kind of negative note, but that's kind of where it is. That's kind of where it is, where it will be too late. It will be too late. There will be... Until cities start permanently flooding, until Miami or the Netherlands are completely submerged in water for the rest of their days, until that happens, we ain't going to do nothing. Until the White Cliffs of Dover aren't the White Cliffs of Dover anymore, and it's just the White Cliffs, and it's just a, and it's just a, the, the Channel Ocean, and it's just the Channel, and it's just the English-French Channel, and there's no White Cliffs because they're underwater. We ain't gonna do nothing. The average person can do many things, obviously, and you know you can you can look it up yourself if you want to, you know, help the planet. But until there is major, major, major Law put in, legislation put in, dedicated to environmental change, to, you know, forcing businesses to fix up, to animal welfare, you know, all this stuff, all these hot hot button topics, until the government actually fixes up their attitudes on these, and actually makes... Genuine action. I don't see this gained any better, and that's just and that's just being that's just me being honest. This just me being brutally honest. I, I am not and and if you've and if you've listened to Waskin in the past four years, whether it's the podcast or the studio radio show, y- you know I don't trust the government at all. I don't trust the government at all to do any of this. I would love for them to do it, but I don't trust them at all. And, you know, it's not a matter of passing the blame. really isn't a matter of passing the blame, but all to blame. We can all change our language on it for one thing, like I said before. But until it's, um, until it's a, (laughs) until you get fined for binning plastics in a black bag, then, and that's just obviously the extreme, that's a a extreme, until that kind of shit happens, then... I don't see where I can take this, so. But yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I hate to end on a, hate to end on a, hate to end it on a negative note, but that's pretty much it, and uh, that will be what's good for this episode. That is episode thirty-two, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed this one. I'm glad, it's, it's happy to be back. You know, I'm I'm I've always I always like like doing the show and you know, I'm kind of overblown the fact that I missed only a week. And it was only a week, It's only one episode, I know, but I do it's a it's a consistent thing for me and I and, you know, so I feel like if I lose consistency then what's the point? You know what I mean? what's the point of doing it? If you ain't if you ain't doing it on point every week, then what's the point? So anyway, uh like I said, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh music, obviously, uh vanilla, too much. That's the intro for all interludes, it is uh, Vista by Poldor. Shout out to hot Music for uh, allowing me to play these play these songs. If you want to hit up their uh, Vanilla or Poldor's music, they, I have the links in the description below and also on the dot UK From the 5th Element Podcast Network, I've been Chaito, this has been What's Good. I hope you enjoy your week. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week in this uh, questionable heat. <laughs> Wherever it's coming from. And uh, I shall see you next episode. Until then, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. And just a late audible as i have finished recording uh, i actually came across on social media that june was the hottest month ever recorded on earth so i just uh, i just wanted to uh throw that in have a good week everybody